Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. With your host, Todd Martin. Tom, James who Compton. I? Yeah, James who is Compton. James Compton? And 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 kind of give me a little bit of background on how you got to where first what you do, your business, and then how did you get there? Okay. That's, so, I just opened yeah. it up for a long well, oh, yeah. So, if you got a couple hours, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll condense this down. No, I'm so currently we uh, we manufacture uh, custom motorcycle parts, and for the classic superbike uh, industry, I guess, or that genre of bike. Um, and so, the layman on superbike, what is super so superbikes super are the the bikes that you see racing on asphalt road race courses where yeah. the guys have the leather suits and the knee pucks and you know they're going on like laying the know, bike down sideways around yeah, the corners. You're right; they, they actually have elbow pucks now, so they're on their knee geez, and their elbow. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, in some instances, I mean, yeah. it's extreme, but they do um, drag their elbow. They have been for a while, actually. Um, one of my old riders, I think, was one of the first to uh, his nickname is Elbows, um, <laughs> mainly because he rides elbows out like a motocross racer. But he also would drag his elbows, you know, going through corners because of the wow. style. Um, ben Spees, who was uh, a world champion, multi-time national champion, MotoGP rider, but uh, just an incredible guy. Um, but, uh, so, well, I won't get off topic. But so anyway... Um, that's what we do now is so classic or, you know, they're the bikes we build are the genres like um, late seventies, early eighties styling. So they're, they're considered naked bikes. They don't have all the fairings and plastic. Ah. You actually, they have a little quarter fairing in the front yeah. and gas tank and small tail section, but you can see all the mechanics of the bike. So the whole engine is exposed and the carburetors and everything. And, so when you take that to a really high degree of um, uh, performance and what it, it's beautiful, you know, I mean, you can really make some beautiful parts and, yeah. and they're, so it's fun to see. It's like, it's like going to a car show and having the hood up and you go, right. Oh wow. There's, you know, there's more here. Yeah, I've so, seen yours. They look really slick. Yeah. They're cool. You know, yeah. and, and that all started years ago. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, the bikes we're building now when I was 10, 11, you know, 12 years old in 1980 i was 12 and right. eddie lawson and freddie spencer and you know all these world you know guys that went on to be world champions and gp racing and world superbike and all that um these were the bikes they were riding so yeah. i can remember it i recall it uh and so it's kind of nostalgic for me yeah. um and then later in life getting into road racing and then being a crew chief and building all these bikes, but they're totally different. They were so much more modern and everything's covered in painted bodywork. So it's all like, it's, uh, you can't see any of the mechanical aspects of the bike. Right. Um, then I'd have those bikes at my shop and I'd have all the bodywork off cause I was maintaining them and doing work and building engines and do And so all the components were out in the open we'd have customers or people stop by the shop and they'd see the raw components, you Ooh. know, without the, and they just be, Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, it's the best part of the bike. You never get to see it. <laughs> and you, you know? covered it all up, you cover it all up. And so the superbike thing was nostalgic for me or the classic superbike uh, thing, but it also just, you know, from the standpoint of being able to see the raw mechanics of things and make them 
turn them into something beautiful. Yeah. Um, you could, you know, you can take any component and turn it into a small work of art, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah. because, and there's just tons of room for like, I mean, and that's what we do. We'll, just decide that like, Hey, that could look better or function better or do, or hopefully both and then design and engineer and, you know, then uh 3d model it, put it, you know, cut them out on the CNC, test them, take them out to the track, rip around. And, and so that's how we've developed these bikes from, you know, engine suspension, wheels, brakes, you name it. And, uh, and just kind of gone through the whole thing, but, but that's where we are now and getting there, uh, the process of getting there. I mean, I, I started out, uh, um, you know, more, an athlete, you know, high, high school, junior high and high school. And then on, you know, I played, I was a running back at university of Washington and, oh. um, and that was my kind of growing up. And when you talked about it earlier, sharing this stuff, like as a dad with his kids yeah, and I, the importance of being able to do that. And, and it's been a huge focus of mine. I got four boys. I want to yeah. give, I want to teach them everything. I want them to be better than me. I want to yeah. give them everything I've got and everything I've learned and see where they can go with it. And in an accelerated, you know, like if you knew if I, cause if I knew all this 30 years ago, don't be ahead a just, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just think of what you could do with this knowledge. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't, my parents worked, you know, that's, I mean, getting a little off topic, but, you know, where we're at today as a society, you know, moms and dads are all at the workplace, you know, 40, yeah. 50, 60 hours a week. And their kids are, you know, being raised in schools and by the internet and, you know, yeah. it's this, um, but what I will say, you know, if your dad's not there, you know, like having good teachers and coaches like so coaches for me they were surrogate fathers they really were and and so coming up um i was also shy and so being a good athlete i didn't have to talk to girls and meet people or <laughs> you know i could just if i excelled they came and talked to me <laughs> so i mean it was uh so that was motivating for me plus the 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 accolades and the approval from my coaches as a father figure and being there, you know, and, and that was, it, it really fed me. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I always wanted to, you know, push harder, perform better, do all that. It was a big motivating factor. Well, and it's, a, it's it, even when you're doing that in school, like, I think that's what we were losing focus on too, the importance of sports and, and competition in the youth, right. And nothing against academia. Right. Cause I mean, you gotta have, you gotta have academia too, but, um, but there's something about working through the adversity as a young man and, 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 and finding accomplishment in it. Not, not that you have to like, you know, win a state championship to have the accolade, but just, no. just to get to a point where you find the reward and, and get to a point where you've, you've accomplished, you broke past what your, your personal, you know, record is or whatever it is, but those the integral part of those coaches taking you and teaching you how you can push past where you didn't think that you could a hundred percent and how that correlates with man <laughs> with business yeah. whenever you're trying to you know bang your head against a wall for you know several years yeah. and when where's your breaking point when do you quit and that that you've you've learned through some of those sports to be able to push through those and that's what i'm finding with my boys is them 
getting through my son broke a seven minute mile last uh last week and um and w- it was crazy because that's not like a, a landmark you know state it is, record it is if you've never run it one was in this house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a record in this house and it was and to to see him he's not he's not like a talented runner but to see what it took for him to push that hard and it was crazy the last 200 yard kick that he had yeah. was like I'm like, oh, that's so early. You're gonna, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be done. And he monstered through it the whole last two. It was incredible. Yeah. He shaved thirty seconds off his fastest yeah. time. Right. Well, there's nothing like seeing your kids dig deeper past, you know, deeper than they've ever dug before. Yeah. I know. With all my boys, there was a point where I saw them do something, and I was like, check. They're going to yeah. be just fine. They got it. Yeah. They're going to be just fine in this life because they found what it takes. You know, they dug deep. Yeah. And, you know, even further than that, when they date, I'm like, don't even mess around with a girl who's not done athletics. If she's not an athlete or hasn't, you know, competed. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, well, Morgan, yeah. good, she's an athlete. She, you exactly. know, like she's not playing basketball or volleyball or running track, but this, you know, competition she works hard and she knows that she has to work hard to succeed Mm -hmm. so she has to push herself right she has to come out here when she's tired she has to do those things so you know they're i'm not just talking about yeah i'm not boiling like now but it's important and maybe athletics maybe that's too small a focus group but you have to to me you don't want to be with another person that doesn't understand mm. how to find their next gear or their next level or, or, push. or that they're and that there's that really never ends. And, you know, I'm going to be 55 this year yeah. and, you know, my <laughs> goals are different, you yeah. know, like, but I keep pushing in the gym, you know, running on yeah. a bicycle, getting on my motorcycle, do whatever. I, I still, you know, I'm yeah. not, uh, you know, I'm not as good as I once was, nor will I ever ever be again, but I still, you know, I want to be doing things that most people stop doing a lot younger than I am willing to give them up. I I remember there was one of the, one of the football games that um, your son and my son were playing together on the team and, uh, and they had, it was, uh, it was over in Lavernia and, uh, and they had played a really tough team and man, they got hammered. And, uh, I remember after the game, um, I think you're, you experienced the same thing with your boy that same night as I experienced my boy that same night. Um, and it's because we're kind of have them living in a little bit more of a sheltered type of environment at the time. And, and, uh, and they had not experienced a group of boys that was going to, um, that had that foul language and, and had that talked that back that much and were that hard and pushed. Yeah. And, um, and I remember coming off the field and your boy and my boy, um, both s- together, but separately had a little bit of a breakdown where it was like a, an emotional, like, boom, let go. Right. And yeah. it, it was big. Yeah. And I remember seeing the look on your face of, 
this is good yeah <laughs> it was good it was needed they needed to have that they needed to have that adversity yeah. right yeah. and it was it was like i saw you as as you as a dad and me as a dad was like we both looked at it and i saw it in what you were doing because i saw it as an opportunity it was like yeah oh man here's a teaching moment well and for me not only that i, I actually remember that night well um and it was one of those moments with kendrick where and it's not the only one but a lot no. of these happen with athletics where i you know, I look at him and I mean, he's a young boy, he's, you know, he's a freshman in high school and, he, yeah. and they just had a tough game and literally hard got yeah. beat the beat down put on him. <laughs> it did. But in, in afterwards, you know, after he got away from everybody else and like we were walking through the parking lot towards our trucks yep. and he started to cry, he yeah. broke down. And I said, you know, it's okay. You played to the last whistle yeah and you gave it everything you had they did even though you knew you were losing you the game was over before halftime yeah. and you knew but that group of boys played their hearts out to the end and, and you know you said earlier you don't have to win a state championship actually i know teams and kids that play on teams where they are bigger stronger faster it's just it's easy for them yeah. like in, in a sense they never learn that lesson no. or, you know, like they can go through that whole experience and be on top all the time because you know, the deal mm -hmm. adversity is what shows true character. Yeah. And to see those boys struggle and not give up and to keep their heads up high mm -hmm. and play every down to me, I'm like, that's life, man. That, it was. you know, you're going to get kicked in the teeth over and over and over. And you just got to keep getting up. Oh man. Know? It was one of the best rides home. Yeah, oh, no. I mean, it's like it was such a good ride home. I was like, you know, huge opportunity. I remember, you know, my wife, you know, she drove the other ones back, the other kids back with her, and I rode back with him. And it was just, man, what a teaching opportunity! What yeah. a what an opportunity! Like, it was an opportunity to like build him back up. Yeah, you know, when he was like crushed at what he felt and that the emotion and the try and the everything else, and and for them to come back and like that was one of those huge teaching yeah. moments. And the and that wouldn't happen in a spelling bee no no <laughs> the physical exertion all. on it, it i mean not what it all. did to him it was it was it was awesome that was a yeah. that was a really cool learning moment i thought yeah kendrick you know he played one year only before that uh he you know he ran track and did some other things he played soccer played baseball basketball ran track you know we had him in ymca sports yeah. and all that uh, but with private schools, they went to Montessori school before he, so he went from Montessori from the uh, three years old through um, eighth grade yeah. and then went to Gloria Deo his freshman year. And, yeah. um, and so um, he didn't have access to a lot of sports, you know, not being in a public system and being in small private schools. Right. But he did all that stuff in one year he did play football and I forget how old he was now, but he was much smaller than all the other kids, you know, the age break and how it all works out. Yeah. And, and, and he was always small when he was younger anyway. Now he's like six, two, he's, you know, oh, not really, he's, he's not, he's, but he's taller than me. Yeah. Uh, so he's over six foot. And uh, it's just funny because they all blew up. All my boys got big later. They did too. I got big younger, and I th and I think I know why too. And it's just life, you know. Yeah. But, uh, what we're exposed to as young people, because we know that stress on your body produces testosterone. Yeah. You know, and and if you're out baling hay, 
and hucking hay bales when you're 10 years old. Yep. Your body says, well, we have to have a response. We step up. Yeah, we got this, but we got to be, <laughs> the little need. testosterone factory kicks in a lot earlier. I was like fully grown by the time I was in eighth grade. I'm not kidding. I was six foot tall and, you know, 150 pounds when I went into high school. But, but anyway, for him, uh, and speaking of teachable moments, um, they did the little, I can't remember the name of the drill now. Uh, it's where they lay on their backs. They're like 10 yards apart. They blow a whistle. They have to jump up. One's a ball carrier. One's a tackler yeah. in an alley. A team, you know, they got tackling dummies and mm -hmm. teams lining. It's like a shoot. Well, he's tiny, you know, and scared. Yeah. And and it's all new to him. He's like been playing for a week. They just put their pads on. And this is one of the first thing they do for contact. And he's just getting up and he's just standing there because he's afraid, you know, he's barely moving and just getting annihilated. And so after practice, he's just like, you know, I don't, I don't, know, about I don't know if I want to play football anymore. And I said, well, you know, I said, is it because of that? Because I watched practice. And, yeah. And uh, he's like, well, yeah, you know, because everything else he was excelling at. He's super, you know, his endurance yeah. is great. He's in good shape, but he was smaller. So he's getting blasted and his fear was holding him back but he's extremely intelligent. And I said, you know, like, uh, uh, how, how, how much faster do you think you are than those other kids? You know, how much faster do you think you get up and accelerate than that big kid? You know, cause he's having a hard time just, you know, yeah. like you're little and spry and forces mass times acceleration. You know, even though you weigh half what they do, I bet you can out accelerate them by the time they're off the ground. I bet you can hit them before they take a step, you know, cause you're that fast. And he started thinking about it. And I said, so next time they run that drill, I want you to change your mindset and I want you to use your speed, use the things that your strengths mm -hmm. and uh, you know, get up and go as fast as you can thousand percent run right through the guys. And he did, and he dominated that drill the next time. And everybody was just like, whoa, Lord. what happened? And he came off, and he felt so good about himself. And all of a sudden, he's not scared anymore. You know, he's like, and I, all my boys growing up, being an old football player, I'm like, you got a choice. And it's a choice in life, too. Mm -hmm. But definitely on the field, you can either be the hammer or you can be the nail. Yeah. You decide, man. Because there's always one of those. Man, but doesn't that even, like that little instance, isn't that a huge deal on, you know, just realizing it's possible? Oh, like when, when, absolutely. That's the difference, I think, is the biggest difference. And uh, even on these conversations, just realizing that it's possible and that, you know, okay, so it's going to be hard. But, you know, if you embrace that, yeah. and but you know that you can do it and that yeah. there's something better on the other end that's the hardest part is realizing that there's you know it gets better yeah you know if you if you just think oh man it's just, just nothing but i'm going to be the nail well then it's time. pointless yeah if you exactly if you can't believe in it and yeah. see it but it takes somebody to like that's just part of that speaking into your life yeah. somebody to speak into your life and go like hey so you know why not i mean what's yeah. the, what's the alternative you yeah. don't right. <laughs> like there's no chance if you don't yeah right if you don't try absolutely yeah. So, so what was your, so back to the beginning of where you started out, where was there like a, a change in your trajectory of doing football and college? And then where does it go to motorcycles? 
So this goes back to finding your passion, right? So when I was younger, football was my passion. That's all I wanted to do. I loved it. Um, I loved the the camaraderie, my teammates, my coaches. You know, growing up in Texas, yeah, it it was a way of life, man, and it was a celebrated way of life. You were a gladiator, yeah, and there was nothing I loved more, and um. So I had a really successful high school career because of my size. You know, I was fully grown by the eighth grade. So what high school did you go to? Bandera. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I only played, I played in the eighth grade. And when I came out for football, um, the coaches were like, oh, you're going to be a lineman. And I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm going to be running back. And they're like, no, you're like one of, you know, you're, you're probably the third biggest kid on the team. You'll be a lineman. I'm like, no, I'm a running back. And so they lined us up to run forties. And after we ran forties, they said, okay, you can try to be running back. Cause I was pretty fast. And, uh, even though I was a big kid and, um, so because I was a big kid and I was fast in junior high, yeah, I just ran over or ran past or ran over everybody just yeah. ran down the field. So the high school coaches were already like, talking to me like, and hey. like, Hey, you know, get ready. We're we got big plans for you. You know, like, oh, okay. And, uh, so going into high school, I had, um, the opportunity to try, you know, try out for varsity and made the varsity team was back up to a senior who was the running back ahead of me. Um, and he was bigger, stronger, faster. He's better running back. You know, yeah. it was, uh, and and he was a senior and right. uh and like the second or third game of the year um he had a compound tib fib fracture oh we we're playing blanco and uh i'll never forget it it was horrific uh-huh. and right. um uh john fest and his dad would played in the nfl uh howard fest huge human being but john was built more like me like a linebacker fullback type his dad was like a lineman he was like six just an enormous guy yeah. super nice but you know how most yeah. guys that can handle their business are really nice uh but john i remember him because he was a tough guy i remember seeing him and it was an impact for me because like, i'm a freshman this is all still pretty new to me i'm right. excited to be there and be a part of it um, especially cause I'm a freshman, I'm hanging out with all the juniors and seniors, yeah. you know, I'm kind of getting, but yeah, I'm also in, in on the, deal. I'm like a little brother too. They're yeah. also continually putting me in my place. Um, but I remember when he broke his leg and the coaches came out, um, uh, and it was pretty gruesome. Um, he started crying and, uh, still chokes me up. Coach was like, man, stop your crying. And he got angry. He looked at him. I'm not crying because I'm hurt. I'm crying because I know I'll never play again. Uh-huh. I mean, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that's that never escapes me is uh, human spirit. Yeah. The. Uh, wow, that's something. You know, to see his love for the game and his teammates and the whole process of that and just be like, and looking well, back at this age. Yeah. Well, well it's still the clarity that he had at that age. Right. And knowing, you know, this is my last, you know, it was a reality for him. You know, my wife and I, Kim, we talk about this all the time. Like you never know when's the last time you're going to pick up that baby. Ooh, you no know, kidding. When's the last time they're going to 
you know, sit on your lap and fall asleep. When's, you know, there's all these things that are, they're final. Um, mm. And the importance of enjoying every step of the process that you're wherever you're at, you know, what it, no matter what it is, is to like find joy in anything that you do, because this life is such a gift. And if you're not putting yourself there, if you're not finding that joy and passion and then you're wasting it, oh, you know, man, is that not true? It's it, you know, so like, my boys and Kim laugh at me all the time. We watch movie, you know, it's like, you know, these kids are performing and they reach deep and they die and I'm over there just bawling like a baby. And I'm like, you know, maybe, you know it. and it gets worse the older I get. I know. I realize that, you know, like I was thinking this morning, I'm on the, <laughs> on the Stairmaster, you know, cause I'm trying, man, I'm, I want to stay as healthy and spry as I can, as long as I can. And, I'm working out and I'm thinking, and I don't even know why it popped in my mind. I'm like, what hole am I on? I know I'm on the back nine, but am I in like the 13th hole? Like <laughs> in the, if you yeah. lay out that measuring stick of life, you yeah. know? And so the older I get and the more I realize the importance of all these things. And I realized at a very young age that the, the worst thing you can ever have is regret. And regret comes, in my opinion, directly from not doing your best at anything you're no. doing if you're half-assing anything mm -hmm. you are going to regret it you're there mm -hmm. show up you've shown up give it everything you got get the most out of it and i didn't always do that but i was aware of it i think at a much younger age than a lot of people mm -hmm. um and then moving forward and seeing you know uh and being a dad and and seeing where we're at today and doesn't seem like it's getting any better. I can tell you that. With, no. But I will say this, you know, I feel very blessed and fortunate for the area that we live in. Oh, crap. Are you not kidding? Man, I was, uh, we were just up at the the new coffee shop, The Cup yeah. in Bergheim. Have you been over there? Um, which one? Oh, the one, uh, yeah, the, the cup. cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, dude. Have you eaten there? So, do you, so you know food. that's, yeah, yeah. The food's great. So do you know that that's uh, a stem of the church? The... Yeah. So we started going to church there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. My son works there. At the coffee shop? Yeah. Yeah. They told me. It's like, we talk to him all the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Eric? Matthew. Or is Matthew? Yeah. And his wife? No, 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 no. Um, oh, your son's Matthew. Yeah. My son is Matthew. The husband and wife. Oh, yeah. Eric and, Eric Eric and his and... wife. Yeah. 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 S beautiful people. Yeah. So awesome. And that everything they do they do it with such love and you, I mean, yeah. it, the quality, like, and you can tell it's really an outreach of the church. I mean, it's really, a, it's, it's such a good environment. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we love it. And so, uh, oh, now I've lost my train of thought. So, you know, they do a, a youth night there on Wednesday nights. Yes. Actually, we just talked to Kendrick about, uh, going there cause nice. his girlfriend and he go to youth group. And, and it. so we were, we were like, Hey, you know, they're meeting up there on Wednesdays. You guys should check that out. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so close to all the my house. kids go. Awesome. Wednesdays, yeah. Well, they should, yeah, we'll get them. We'll tell them and get yeah. them to go up there. I don't remember. But I guess, uh, man, I kind of had a train derailment there. <laughs> but just the whole, you know, like back to the human spirit. The area and we're in. Yeah. Is, and the, is, oh, that's yeah. what it was. The air, I was talking to Eric about that. I said, we're so lucky. You know, uh, my three oldest sons, Kendrick didn't go, but my three older ones all went to Geneva mm -hmm. for high school. Um, Christian went just for two years and then he did an early completion and started working with me. Right. Uh, that was when he COVID hit and all that, you know, it was just like, 
And well, you mentioned earlier, like the, the importance of academics. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there's an, you know, that is an important part of what we're doing in school. But I do think in most instances, we're falling so short as, yeah. you know, especially in the public realm, the public realm is... is unbelievable. So we have great private schools, which we've both yeah. taken advantage of. Um, but there's still a whole nother level. You know, when you think about where you're at today and what it took to get there, how much of that did you learn in school? When you think about like the addition, the subtraction, the being able to form a complete sentence and, you know, read and write. Yeah. Sixth grade. I mean, what, what level do you think you, yeah. you, you really needed and, and and I have friends that have doctorates in applied mathematics and for what they do, you, they can't do it without it. And I'm amazed at what they can do. Yeah. Most people don't need that and, and, and it's not going to help them through their life. You know, nope. you, you can balance a checkbook and do your taxes at the end of the year. You're, you're set. I mean, I, and I think that what we have to, well, this takes us off on a whole other deal, but the, the, it's it's important to be said is that um if you don't have a correct worldview if you don't have an understanding and a foundation of what is true yeah you could be the smartest guy oh. you know in the room and have come up with the dumbest conclusion on yeah. life yeah right and i think that's what um you know the the impact that that different people can make throughout throughout the world um you have to have a correct worldview yeah i mean your worldview has to be right you you, you uh, let me take us completely off subject but uh, <laughs> i, I, I was, cover i had a conversation <laughs> i had a conversation just this morning with somebody who was questioning um the inconsistencies in the bible and <laughs> And, uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's, it's not the first time I've heard it, you know, it's not the first time that I've, you know, like heard from, you know, they, they, well, well, this one says this and this one says that. And, you know, and I, the problem with that is we're not looking at the inconsistencies in our world and, and that we can sit and look at, at what it is, is your worldview is, is messed up. And that's why you're seeing the inconsistencies in it because your worldview is not correct right and so but we but heaven forbid we sit back and actually look at what the inconsistencies are in our world right. like it's sitting at a walking contradiction our our everything around us right now is turning into a walking contradiction and there's fallacies in everything that we're walking around yeah. and looking at i mean like to the point where you can't define what a woman is Right. So, like, if you can't tell me that, then where are you going to find inconsistencies in Scripture, and and what is it founded on? Because your worldview's jacked up, yeah. and if that's jacked up, there's no sense in us sitting and talking about Scripture, right? We probably ought to align our, our align ourselves with what is true and observable in creation and everything around us. And if and if it's not, and we can't have that conversation, then we are way off. We're way off base. Yeah, you know. And, but we don't talk about those inconsistencies. Yeah. You know, that's the silly part. Um, well, well, yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, but I, I think that's important, right? Yeah. Because without understanding that me and you 
we've seen the the hard work what is truth hard work pays off yeah. what is what is truth that you know staying true to what your beliefs are and working hard and sticking with it yeah. that you know you can achieve that it doesn't mean that i'm president of the united states but yeah. i can achieve what did i achieve i achieved a a, a, a job in my backyard that i love doing yeah. And a, and a group of kids that I would die for, a wife that I would die for, and I got a life that I live that that reflects what I believe. Yeah. Right? And there's truth in all of that. Well, and there's, the, depending on the metric you're measuring things with, too, you know, I mean, I think Boy, people are starting to realize that true wealth has nothing to do with money. There was a, a psalm that I read 25 years ago. And, and I will get this wrong, but it, somewhere in the neighborhood of a, a, a rich man has plenty or, uh, what, how does it say? How does it go? I'm going to mess this up. Oh, a rich man is happy in plenty in, or no, that's not it either. I'm butchering this and it, it's one of my favorites, but it, it's, I say it stuck with me. It obviously eluded me. <laughs> the wrong time <laughs> yeah wow that's weird uh anyway it's basically the takeaway is uh, so a rich man is uh happy and plenty and in want mm. and it's like well how's a rich man in want if you're rich and um god i'm butchering this this is embarrassing it's really true but but the gist of it is that it, when you think about it and you read you know you have to read it a couple times mm -hmm. and, and you're like yeah, because being rich is really joy. Like if mm -hmm. you, you, when you really think about it, it's like, okay, if I had nothing, but I had joy in my heart, I was happy. Mm -hmm. Then you're rich. I've worked with tons of people that have obscene amounts of money. Mm -hmm. and most of them are really miserable people. There's not a lot of joy there. No. And, and so yeah. it's like, well, yeah, I always think if I had all that money, I think I could find a way to be happy. <laughs> but then on the flip side, I think maybe that's why I don't have a lot of money. Maybe I would, maybe it would corrupt me or put me in a place that, you know, I, I don't know the answer. To that that is one of the, one of the, uh, uh, blessings that I, I've not gotten. And I know it's for a reason. Like I would jack that up. Yeah. You know, I would, I, well, I'd probably ruin my kids too. And, and I think there's you know, a lot of that as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, yeah. And it's like a, it's a, it's a tough spot because I don't want my yeah. kids to, I, I want them to pursue the accomplishments and I want them to pursue some success. Right. And, but the, I have to define what success is for them. Not, not what the world says is a success, yeah. but what, what is truly successful. Right. And that yeah. is what, it's joy. joy. Yeah. It's finding yeah. the joy in what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So if back you, on track, what did we get? How do we get you to, to a motorcycles from football? So anyway, uh, so got out of high school, had many, uh, division one scholarship offers, full rides, like in the upper forties. Like I think I had 48 full ride offers oh, all across. Smooth, really? Yeah. Pretty much any D one school you could think of that. Wow. And I, uh, most schools wanted to recruit me as a linebacker because of my size and speed and everything. And they thought that would probably be better fit, but I still loved running the ball. I loved being on the offensive, you know, getting like handing the ball. Yeah. Like yeah. you got the ball and you're basically running for your life, you know? And, yeah. and 
Um, and I loved that. Uh, I love the challenge of it, but, um, anyway, uh, I ended up going to university of Washington. Um, like, you know, I was from Bandera and I thought I was going to UT the whole time, um, that I was in high school. That was what I was going to do. I loved, you know, yeah. the Longhorns and that's what I was going to do. And the year I graduated, their head coach, or actually, I think it was he was the defense coordinator there. He left, and I'd been talking to him about playing linebacker at UT, not in switching from running back. He went to be the head coach at Texas Tech. And I did not want to go to Texas Tech. And hmm. so then it kind of opened up my world to like, whoa, well, where do I want to go? And then I started thinking, well, you know, it'd be really cool to play in the Rose Bowl because back then this is in the eighties. So the Rose Bowl was kind of the the bowl, you know, like if you played in the Rose Bowl, it was like playing in the Super Bowl, you know? Yeah. And so then there were only, in my estimation at the time, there were really three teams that had a shot at it. And it was UCLA, USC, and Washington. And I did not want to move to LA. And I was actually born in Bellevue, Washington. And so, which is right across the lake from Seattle huh. and, and lived there as a child. And, um, and my dad and his, uh, brother had, uh, both gone to UW. And so it, there was a number of criteria that it met for me, kind of checked a bunch of boxes and I was like, okay, you know, I can go to my my dad and uncle's alma mater. I can potentially play in the Rose bowl. I can, you yeah. know, like, so I ended up going to Washington and when I took my recruiting trip there, it was like, you know, they, they do a great yeah. job no matter where you go, any recruiting trip. It's like, Oh my God, this it's, is the place. place is yeah. awesome. It's the best place ever, <laughs> you know? And, and so they did a great job better than anybody else. Their recruiting was very strong. Um, and so uh, I got there and it didn't take me long to realize that one, um, being a gold ship, you know, high school, all American athlete, taking that next step, uh, everybody there is a high school, all American <laughs> gold ship athlete. And the guys that are four or five years older than you that are starting then the were all that and had the last five years to get bigger, stronger, faster, learn the system and everything. And so when I came in, you know, I mean, I've been corrupted by all this, you know, like a lot of great offers and, you know, I'm thinking, Oh man, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go right in here, you know, just like I did in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I got there. I I, I wasn't even stretching on the field. You know, you, you do it by depth. So that the, front line of people across the field is the starting lineup basically <laughs> and then second team they're you know and on back and i'm like not even on the track around the state you know the field i'm Ooh. out in you know i'm right next to lake washington stretching in goose poop you know and and uh i'm like wow this is crazy like and then my mindset changed and i'm like i don't want to be back here even for a day like i have to figure out like how to get up there yeah and I had a s specific set of skills. I was very strong. Like when I went in and tested, I was off the chart. Like I, I high school power lifted. My high school coach, who was my surrogate father, Tony Johnson, he was a world champion power lifter. 
And oh, wow. in the 181 class, little dude squatted like 840 at 181. Jeez. I mean, this dude was a monster. This the, and he was just the coolest guy ever. He boxed, uh, rodeoed, and, <laughs> and played at tech. You know, he was <laughs> football, boxing, and, and bull riding. Yeah. You know, I mean, the dude was just, he was the Marlboro man, basically. Yeah, he was yeah. so awesome. And so he kind of adopted me. Um, and and there was just, I, we had a bond, and, and I loved him to death. But anyway... So I power, he got me into powerlifting and, you know, so for me, football, I played all sports until I started playing football. And then I got serious about football. I was like, okay, how do I get better at football? Well, I run track to get faster and I lift weights to get stronger mm. and I play football. So those are the things I did. And as a result, I turned my body into like a battery ram. I was a, you know, I was 250 pound running back and, wow. you know, that ran well, eventually when I left, I ran a, a four five forty. you know, I was pretty wow. for my size. And, yeah. That's... Uh, uh, it was pretty fast. And so, uh, but at this point coming in as a freshman and I graduated when I was 17, you know, so I was a young freshman wow, coming yeah. in, um, I was like, I have to make some kind of impact and get out of this place I'm at right now. And I was like, well, anybody ever die playing football? Like, no, you know, like I'm sure there have been, but at the time I'm thinking, well, chances are, I'm not going to die. You might as well just leave it all out here. So it was kind of like being put in prison where it was like, you had to like eat or be eaten type yeah. of situation. Yeah. So I remember we went through like a week of practice and we had a scrimmage and it was just like, they were putting freshmen incoming freshmen up against like the starting defense. <laughs> and uh, they had a couple Samoan linebackers or not Samoan Hawaiian uh, and uh, Ricky Andrews was one of them. And, and uh, he, you know, he was already playing for the yeah. Huskies. He was an upperclassman and, and we ran a little trap play and I'm like, well, it's you or me, buddy. Yeah. And, and lowered my, like broke both our helmets, you know, like laid them out. And, and it was like, whoa, what, you know, I was like going a thousand percent. Um, cause uh -huh. I was like literally fighting for my life. Cause yeah. that was not my life. I didn't want to be, be back, back there. there. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, as a result, by the end of two days, I was practicing with, the traveling squad i didn't travel because they want to preserve your red shirt year right but at least i was with the team i mm -hmm. wasn't on the scout team running again you know just running other teams plays against right and so that was uh that was a, that that was a huge accomplishment even though i wasn't all that and anyway after that i had a pretty average career i came up i was you know i i I didn't play, end up playing my senior year. I redshirted my freshman year and then played three years. And I started my last year there was the starting running back, but I was the starting short team running back and played special teams and did all that and was the backup to the starter for the other years. So I got a lot of playing time and did that, but I was not, you know, I wasn't a Heisman, you know, I was, right. a, I was a utility player. I could get the job done. I was not the glitz and glamor and, you know, I, the, and I played, scored a few touchdowns, had, you know, had a decent career there, but I was not. Yeah. And and I had offers to go try out for pro teams and uh, go to spring camps and stuff like that because I didn't go through the combine since I didn't play my senior year. Yeah. But the reason I didn't play is I was done. I was, my passion left. Hmm. So after I got to Washington, 
got through this first little segment of two a days and getting into then school started. And what I realized really quickly is very liberal environment. And this is back in the eighties. It was still that way. They frowned, you know, scholarship athletes were just taking advantage of the system. You, sh- you don't deserve to be at university. Mm. You're, you know, you're just taking up space here mm-hmm. and they didn't like not celebrated like I was used to in Texas and in the South that how they celebrate yeah. football players. Yeah. And so right off the bat, I was like, well, this kind of sucks. I didn't really enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy playing football and I did enjoy playing on Saturday. That was like payday to me to get on the field and actually play in the Do games. Yeah. But other than that, the experience of being there was not great. Um, hmm. It was uh yeah, I just, it was not, I was not filled with joy and I lost through that process. I kind of just lost my passion for it. The other, the other part of that is doing the math. So I'd never done the math. I just always knew I was going to outwork and, you know, and, and be the biggest, strongest guy at my position. And, you know, I find right. a way to make it work. Um, But then I, as I was going through university and over those four years watching these guys who were every you know as good as i was or better or maybe even or not quite as good but in that realm Realm, of where i i matched up because i could play at the next level i had the tools the size the speed the strength you know like that's your raw materials that's what athletes are you're you're those things that's how they measure you that's why they look at you and go oh we want you to be a linebacker because we look at how you do these drills and how fast you are strong you are height numbers are saying that yeah there you are it's a science right yeah but the other part of that math that they don't tell tell you about and you don't really realize is that you know if you look at the number of d1 athletes coming out every year in the draft Mm -hmm. and the number of nfl players that are on contract you could replenish the nfl like multiple times every year with with guys coming out but so what happens is like say at washington say on an average year they draft 14 guys are drafted into the nfl if one makes it that's a big deal you know like they're usually one or two guys that end up having a career out of a year you know out of a year's worth of a draft or whatever and then the other thing i realize is like it's also because there has to be an opportunity so teams draft players and a lot of it's just a strategy to keep those players from going somewhere else or like you know i mean there's all this other stuff going on usually just to well yeah or you know and a lot of it's you know it's like well we'll see what you can do so you know they got this many picks we're going to draft these guys they come in you're you're if you're not just incredible you're going up against a guy that is buddies with everybody on the team knows all the coaches knows the system the plays that you know all this stuff and you're coming in as a way more of a leg up on you than yeah. You do. yeah and so if you can't you know best that guy in front of you there's a good chance you're you know they're not going to see like well he could we could develop in him the like time's moving way too fast mm-hmm. they want guys to come in show up and if you do lost the job, that, you've lost that desire at that point. That's a pretty big deal. Well, and that was part of my losing the desires. I, the mass, I started doing the math on like, it doesn't matter how good you are, how hard you work. If, if you don't get opportunity. Yeah. And that's what, show it anyhow. Yeah. I mean, so it, it and I, you know, it, so at that point I was just like, yeah, I think I'm done doing this. And so then it became 
like, yeah, why am I, why would I stay here and play another year? Cause I had a surgery after every year, you know, I had oh, a, wow. a knee one year, a shoulder the next year, then another knee. And like, you're just always, it, you get beat up, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, and so I'm like, yeah, why keep doing this to my body? And especially if it's not something you love doing, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one thing I told all my riders when they raced, you know, I'd, these young guys that come up and they'd transition to the pro level and I'm trying to help develop them as a rider. And you could just see, there's just like, there's not this, you couldn't see that burning passion mm -hmm. or whatever you see it in their dad, yeah, you know, or the person paying Ooh, for it. Yeah. That like, it's like, well, unless you're in love with this, find something else to do. Mm -hmm. That's when I really started like my own personal experience and then started working with young athletes in the road race community. It's like, yeah, you better be passionate about this because mm -hmm. one, you'll never succeed. You'll never reach your full potential as a human being unless you're in that environment that you're passionate about. And two, there's risk in most things that are, you know, like especially sports and, and motorsports and things yeah, like that. Especially it's like motorsports, you yeah. can get killed today. So <laughs> it better be important to you, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, lost my love for the game, stopped playing football was up one night late watching ESPN and they had a, a GP race on from Europe or something in road racing. And, and I had seen it a few times when I was a kid, you know, uh, wild world of sports or yeah. whatever it was when they spin out on the corner and yeah. yeah and so, but sliding it, down the asphalt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wasn't from a big motorsport family, so I didn't was super exposed to it, but then I see it and I'm like, wow, this is, so, you know, these riders are, you know, they're dragging their knees around corners yeah. or just flying. And it's, it, it was like a ballet. And then it was just like chaos of destruction because all of a sudden the rear end would slip out from under them and then they'd high side and be flung to the moon at hundred plus miles an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is exciting. I want to, you know, I want to learn more about this. And that's, so that's where it all started. And I, I went out, bought a motorcycle, then sold my car and bought a race motorcycle. <laughs> so I had a street bike that I rode to and from work and got around with and then I had a race bike that I went to the track with and raced, really? but to afford that race bike at the time I had to sell my car and I would trade my street bike to a friend of mine that had a little pickup on the weekends that I had races <laughs> and I would load my race bike in his pickup and he would ride my, my street bike around for the weekend. And I would <laughs> take his truck and go race. And I was a club racer, just a privateer. You just build your stuff and go out and compete with other privateers at local and regional events and do that and so i did that for like 10 years you know and it uh i just had a ball doing it that's crazy you know um i it just reminded me like my dad was into motorcycles when i was a kid and uh and he had a buddy that they did some road racing local uh -huh. and and he had his own and he was just it was a diehard guy right he had you know you go over to his house he was a single guy he had his you know bike was in the, in the living room and he was always working on it in there and yeah i can't remember what they call he called him fuzzy or something like that and uh, yeah and he uh he was in san antonio and my dad my dad was in dirt bikes so we you know did right. some dirt bikes yep. and did some of that and my dad had an old penton there's a lot of crossover yeah, yeah. two yeah. wheels yeah exactly all of it yeah, yeah that's wild though yeah because yeah. it was it, it was one of those deals where it was kind of a so, but what i'm curious like is so you're just doing this on your own like how did you get a break in there to to get in deeper 
So really, I kind of thought I was done with it. Um, from a racing standpoint, I'd raced for years, got, you know, I'd gone and done the nationals and I'd done decent, but I was older and, and I I never had any illusion that I was going to be a sponsored rider and go race professionally and do all this. I was the anomaly and kind of in a way a joke because I was, you know, a lot of my nickname was big cat and it wasn't because, you know, cause I was big. That was, they're like, man, it's like two of you on that motorcycle. Cause I, I still weighed 250 pounds, you know? So all these little road racers that are buck yeah. 50, you know, and I'm like, yeah, if I, you know, I should get extra displacement because to carry, you know, there the should dra- be a little bit of drag. Yeah, there should be some kind of handicap for me. I should, you know, they should weigh everything and then, okay, you get a little bigger motor, but that's not how it works. And, uh, so anyway, I raced for almost 10 years, uh, the, through the whole, through the nineties. And I, through that time, I, I had, a I'd moved back to Texas in 93, uh, from the West coast. Um, and that's, I started racing on the West coast and then I continued racing here in Texas. And, um, but I also started employee leasing company and was doing that. And, uh, it was something, it was a good business and made good money, but I just something I didn't enjoy. Um, something you're doing just so you could race. Yeah. I was doing it just because I wanted to make money and, and it was what was available to do that. You right. know, it was like, you know, how it is. it's like, and I grew up with, you know, not money. <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to know what it was. And so I went out and did, you know, bought the Corvette and the Porsche and had a nice house and did that for a while. And then I quickly realized that it was not important to me to have those things. Yeah. Really. Those were just like uh, rewards for getting up every morning and doing something I hated. Yeah. Like, so I had to have it because Otherwise, why was I doing this? Like, so why? <laughs> you gotta have a reason to get up. Yeah. yeah. And then, so after a while, uh-huh. I realized I'm like, you know, when I'm, this is a question. And I used to sit at my desk and I would say, in, think in my mind, when you're 75 years old, looking back at your life, are you going to be happy that you traded your minutes here on this planet for dollar bills? Holy crap. With no, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, like 30 years old and I'm asking myself this and uh-huh. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be happy. I think I'm going to really regret that I wasted my life not following my passion. And then I was like, well, what are you passionate about? You know, and I'm like, you know, I really love motorsports. That's just really. So here's a quick story. The first time I road raced, I went and got my license. You're a novice road racer. You go to a little classroom at a community college for a day and they teach you all the rules and how to prep your bike. And they give you a a book called twist of the wrist that a professional racer i think wayne rainey actually wrote that i don't maybe anyway an old world champion wrote this book and it's about how to approach road racing and mentally and and physically and yeah you know all these techniques and everything so they give you this book you read it you show up you do this class and they pair you up with uh, a rider who and then a couple weeks later you go to the track and you actually are there for a day riding with your instructor who is an, a veteran racer you learn and then the next day is a race and you race for the first time really yeah and so you know i did have a couple moments in college football where you know my first touchdown was against ucla and Ooh. you know it's like the third quarter we're playing at home 
we're down by three. It's a battle, you know, it's a low score game and, yeah. it, you know, we're just back and forth and I score and it puts us ahead. Oh, and so it, one and, of those moments and 80,000 like, fans are, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God, that's adrenaline, you know, yeah. that really kicks in. And so I go out So years later, you know, four or five years later, I'm out there getting my novice license. I show up the track, like the only people that are there to watch are, girlfriends you know wives <laughs> kids you know it's just a yeah. uh, not quite yeah. the same no uh, 75 you know. to 100 yeah, maybe, maybe if you're lucky <laughs> and so i went out go for my first race and of course it's the potential for disaster is really really high so the adrenaline side of it is really yeah. it really feels good you know it's like yeah. oh this but it's scary it's scary scary and so you get out there, you, 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 you know, you, it's your first race. You're sitting there, rah, there's 50 guys and you're yeah. going to go barreling down into turn one and you're going to race for eight or 10 laps. And, and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my, my mindset was, I don't want to hurt myself and I don't want to hurt anybody else. Like yeah. make a mistake and hurt, you know, like yeah. that was my, beat that guy. I just want to get through this yeah. and survive it. And I finished second you know and i so i went out and i'm like oh it turns out i'm pretty good at this and it was you know a lot of it at later i was like oh well you're an athlete you got great vision depth yeah. perception you know you motor see things a little bit better in the yeah, middle of strength the... to control the yeah. body, you know like things and i'm like yeah well it kind of makes sense even though i was big it was um so i do this race and i finish i come across he's waving the checkered flag it's a novice race at a club event with 15 <laughs> people in the grandstands and i remember thinking to myself that felt better than the the first touchdown I scored against UCLA. Really, the, the, the satisfaction, the accomplishment of like, wow! Because I wasn't I, it wasn't for the, the it was for me, yeah. right? You know what I mean? And uh -huh. it was a challenge. I had met a challenge that was way scarier and way different, like than what I'd ever experienced in football. And yeah, so. You know, it, it sounds kind of weird because I'm sure a lot of people go, oh, that doesn't make sense, you know. No. Um, but so that was a, a big moment for me. And that, and, th and that was the moment that I was like, wow, I don't think I can ever live without this. I mm -hmm. and, and I still do track days. I don't race anymore, but I still go to the track and I enjoy, you know, ripping around and, and we, you know putting your knee on the deck and spinning up tires on the edge of the tire, driving out of corners and, you know, popping little wheelies and, you know, having a blast doing it. But that's crazy. It's addicting. You've been listening to Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin and James Compton. Um, this is part one, so stay tuned later for part two. We'll be releasing it a little sooner than normal. Thanks for listening. <laughs>